everyone. I'm Steve Madden. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief and general manager of MMNM, and you're listening to the MMNM podcast. We're glad to have you here. Uh, I've got a great guest today. W2O's Jim Weiss is with us today. Hey, Jim. Hey, Steve. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Good weather out here in California today. Got uh, probably too good. We probably need some of your snow and sleet and rain that you're getting. Well, we've got lots we can send to you. Uh, I will right. train, gladly change places with you. The month of February uh, in the Northeast, at least, and probably in the rest of the country except California, has been uh, kind of brutal because of the combination of the pandemic and the weather. It's just uh, it's just turned this into the... Uh, we, we've really lived through the, the winter of darkness that uh, the CDC had forecasted earlier last fall. But there's lots of signs of hope. And that's what we're here to talk about today uh, as part of Haymarket's Vaccine Confidence Project. So, um, Jim, before we start rolling, you uh, you mentioned that you had been tested this morning. How'd that go? Uh, negative. Uh, I did uh, an antigen test that I've been doing. You know, I, I've been coming into my office because my wife prefers that I am not in her way at home uh, <laughs> where, with the family there uh, and other activities. So I do make my way in the office and we have been testing a small group of us that come in um, every so often, and we were all negative today. So, so, uh, so it's good. been it's been uh, almost a year. Um, God help us! I can't believe I'm saying that. But how many times do you think you've been tested in the in the previous twelve months? I, I don't think it's quite a hundred, but it's probably up there. Um, you know, I come to the office a lot. I've been on the road. I've done quite a bit of, as you know, you've been following us. We've continued to do acquisition. I've done some M and A uh, diligence meetings back on the East Coast, so I would say you know my temperature has been taken or my nose has been swabbed a good hundred times at least, uh, and that's been done not just with me but with a lot of my colleagues. So, and um, um, all negative so far. All, all negative. That's great. Um, yeah. And. And now the next uh, the next step in the process is uh, is vaccine. So what I'd like to do before we get started talking about vaccine confidence is to just to to sort of uh, set the table by defining the scope and the scale of uh, the issue that we're looking at. According to Bloomberg, in the United States, sixty eight point three million doses have been administered. Um, that's uh, about one point three million doses a day since it was approved for distribution here. Globally, 225 million doses across 100 countries. So that's, uh, that's an average of 6.1 million doses a day. So we're gathering, we're gathering some speed here. How, how are you feeling about this? Are you, uh, are you, start, are you feeling more confident about, uh, about the vaccine and distribution and uptake? Yeah, I mean, I have all along. I haven't felt one ounce of anything but confidence. I thought you and I talked about this. I think I even told you this in one of our conversations early on that the biopharma industry would come to the rescue and they did. And quite quickly, uh, I've said, you know, normally these things take 10 and 12 years to put together and do. Uh, it was done in pretty rapid fire. We had remdesivir on shelves, you know, that they, Gilead did, not we, but Gilead. 
uh, and the government to some degree. The government kind of gets in the way a little bit, um, you know, when the industry can distribute it on its own and straightforward. I mean, the only thing that's been rate limiting, as you've seen, is manufacturing in many cases. It's not the trials. I mean, I just got a notice. I had signed up for one of the trial, the upcoming trials. They sent me a notice back saying, sorry, we're full. We had, you know, more than enough people sign up. So people were worried that once Moderna and Pfizer was available, you wouldn't be able to do Novavax trials. But, you, you know, we still were able to, um, obviously, because of supply. Um, and then I have friends that were in the J&J trial and found out they got the, the, the actual active vaccine. So that they had a great experience with that one. And that today, while we're speaking, you know, they're having their ad com and you've seen some material out about that one. And even while others have had fits and starts, you, you know, I think I mentioned to you, there are thousands of new trials and both vaccines and drugs being developed. So there's much more on the way. And I mean, quickly. So it's unbelievable how fast, efficient, and relatively quickly, this has all happened. I think it's just because we had such high expectations that were highly unrealistic going into it, mm -hmm. that there was disappointment or frustration or negativity. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing what's occurred. It, it is. It's very. It's 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 nothing short of miraculous what's actually happened. Um, exactly. you know, to, to think that I've I've had uh, one injection already of the Moderna vaccine. Congratulations. Thank you. And to, to think that that, that happened um, within 11 months is, is nothing short of a miracle. Um, and yet there are still those among us who are hesitant slash skeptical or, or outright resistant. And I think that the, you know, uh, uh, Aaron Strout from W2O has a great phrase for it. He said, like, we need to work the swing states instead of trying to go after the anti-vaxxers. What do you think is are some of the reasons the most stubbornly persistent reasons um, that people are giving for not wanting to get vaccinated um you know i i've had an experience today you know i told you i get tested a lot earlier this week i had a woman young woman in childbearing years you know tell me that she had not been vaccinated i asked her because all the people giving the tests have mostly been eligible even in California, have gotten their vaccines if they can get them. And she said, look, I just don't know how it plays out in people who are pregnant, uh, you know, who want to get pregnant, you know, or, or childbearing years. I don't, I want to see how that plays out. And that was her hesitancy. Um, now the data, there's some good data already, and they'll have more trials coming. So I didn't feel like this was, and I didn't think it was a crazy notion that she was asking the question. She just has to be able to access the information, which, you know, she can get access to. Um, that I would think is definitely a very normal one that we see with lots of new medications. That is not an unusual thing to see or hear um, because most new medicines carry that warning or carry that concern, right? That, you know, okay, I'm I want to have kids. Is this going to impact me? And of course, there's the story out there with, you know, from the anti-vax movement in particular that this, you know, vaccines can cause autism in kids. And, you know, there's that notion that I think, 
you know, is mostly dispelled that we've dealt with in the flu vaccine world. And, you know, knowing our experience with flu vaccines, you know, a good 30 or 40% of people you'll never convince. And you probably, you know, we're never going to convince here. I think we need to get about 70% of people vaccinated. um, And then the rest will get it. We'll get the disease and then we'll have herd immunity that way. So you'll get there. You'll get there. You're just going to get there not by vaccinating alone. Part of the problem with flu vaccines and and why some of the hesitancy is so persistent there is people say, well, you know, I, la- I got the flu shot last year and I still got sick, really sick. I still got the flu. Um, this is a uh, what we're dealing with here is a different technology and a different a different case. Right. It is, although, you know, because I think actually the data is bearing out better that maybe we're going to prevent spread. This could be preventative. It's certainly keeping people out of the hospital, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't go develop, you know, medications and these antibodies that you saw, like the president took and, you know, Chris Christie and others that had good experiences with the antibody therapy. And, uh, you know, there's lots of good things that will be there to help. Um, but in the flu shot at that point, you know, I always say to the person, well, you're still here. You didn't die. Um, <laughs> the point, but that's, there's a point to that, you know, that the flu can be that lethal. lethal it yeah. still can kill. Um, and it's really important that people take it. And, uh, you know, there are variants, but a lot of people don't understand that this other point that flu vaccines generally are not as effective as these have been at 90 and you know 100 but we didn't have the variants yet now we have variants coming in and you're going to see that and it'll become part of our long-term living with covid and then of course there'll be new pandemic type diseases that arise that we need to be prepared for but obviously you'd think we might be a little more prepared now or 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 at least in a better position to act on it. If you're trying to address hesitancy um, or reluctance or skepticism or wait and seeism or whatever you want to call it, from your point of view, where where would you focus? Where would you place your your bets and where would you um, focus your energies? Well, where we do focus, because we are involved in it actively, is we focus where you can bring the data and information you know, directly to the person or the patient, if you will, so that the good news is we have the digital realm and we can do very hyper-targeting through our data and analytics. So I think we can bring the story directly to caregivers of elderly. I mean, you know, we've had this sort of proof point. Look, if if you can show that you gave it to a bunch of older people, which we did initially, nobody... And what are we seeing? Okay, there's very low death rate now and very low incidence rate in in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Well, that's a great thing. And those are the most frail and fragile people. So let's show that and show that story uh, and emphasize that. So that makes it a lot easier for the next group to take it. Um, Keep bringing the new data to people uh, as readily as you can. And look, I said this all along, it takes 10 years for most modalities to get accepted. There's all there's always hesitancy for all these therapies 
of any type through the years. It's just in this case, obviously, there was such a great urgency to get it done and out there. Um, but I saw last night on television, the president of Moderna saying, just take any shot, whatever shot it is, don't worry about which one. Um, I think there's a mindset of, hey, you know, get the word out. Don't worry about this as a competitive area. This isn't about making money. This is about, you know, fixing a global problem, changing the world, doing what's best for humanity, which is what it should always be about. Um, but I think it's, and also finding the people where they are, which aligns completely to how we work, which is getting the right patient to the right therapy at the right time. And, you know, that is the work that I think um, ultimately works the best is get the people to take it who will then go tell everybody else to take it. Let's talk a little bit about what you've, you've been focusing on. What specifically has W2O been doing? Uh, to work on uh, vaccine confidence? We've been working with the Ad Council uh, on a campaign uh, to educate healthcare providers about vaccines and how to access them and how to communicate and, ed- and educate. We've got to be careful about educate, but, you know, to, to get the information out there very specifically. Wait, what do you mean being careful about educating? Well, because a lot of people don't want to be you know, you've heard the mansplain or other things, you know, people are smart, they, they don't want to be talked down to, they don't want to be perceived as having certain belief systems that are preventing them. That that's the way we've been seeing this with the QAnons and all the rest. It's like, we need to People have real deep-seated fears about medicine shots. We've been working with the Black Coalition on COVID. Uh, what we're learning there is we've got to meet these communities where they are. We have to talk to them in the language they feel comfortable engaging in, and they don't want to be talked down to or lectured to or educated. You know, they, they want to understand the therapy, the modality, the risks and the, and the benefits and make their own choices on, on the balance of that. Well, that's, that's the way this should always be done with anybody. And I think, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that get made when you're going out and doing this and a lot of misconceptions. And I think we're working, I said, with, you know, not only the Black Coalition, but the, the broader coalition on COVID. Um, a lot of this is pro and low bono work, but the most critical factor is getting people in the communities that those constituents look up to and listen to involved in the dialogue. And then that really helps, I think, you know, move this along faster. Also local news, local news is really critical to this in a way that I don't think, well, it's always been a critical, I believe in any kind of information campaign about new drugs, diseases, and other things. But, you know, I feel local news like ABC, KGO out here has been great. You know, they've set up vaccine task force discussions and town halls. We've been real active providing spokespeople for those um, events. Again, so there's dialogue, discussion. Um, You've certainly seen them on CNN, but with Bill Gates, and not everybody can relate to Bill Gates, right? So, you want to get people talking that people can relate to. 
It's interesting. You know, we were talking earlier about um, about flu vaccine. Do you have learnings from convincing people or working with flu flu vaccine programs, vaccination programs that you're applying to to COVID, and uh, and how has that been working out? Are they, are, you know, is it kind of the similar playbook where you can copy and paste, or do you need to? Uh, you need to vary it up. Well, I think there are many similarities and there are many differences. Flu vaccines, again, have not been as readily accepted and complied with until probably this year. Uh, there was quite a bit more compliance. But, you know, a lot of the same things do work. I, I would say we have used many of the same kinds of tactics and strategies. But what I just said is meeting the community where they are, talking to them in their language, um, you know, the language they understand, employing people they respect to help tell the story and pass that story along, using influencers to, you know, get the word out, all these things, which again, are think are almost universal, are working here. I do think what is a little bit different here is that we don't really have all the science and the knowledge that we have and have had with flu, right? And, and some people aren't convinced because of the science anyway, right? They don't believe the science. And then, you know, there's a full, like I said, 30 to 40% of the population you will never convince and there's no point in trying to go toe to toe with those arguments. It's, it's again, listening to what the resistance is and trying to put information out there that is counter to the disinformation and then taking it from there. And we didn't have Facebook and Twitter in all the years we were doing flu education anyway. So it's been a very different dynamic uh, living with those channels mm-hmm. where a lot of this disinformation lives. Look, the logical, obvious reasoning is basically so people can go see loved ones, so people can open up their restaurants and their stores and, you know, get back to regular life and economy. Um, and it seems a little bit more acceptable than wearing a mask. I mean, somehow it it doesn't seem that hard, especially if you can get people to go to a corner drugstore. And like you said, you went and got your shot. You could, the easier we can make it for the person to get it, the better. Right. Exactly. I'd like to focus on some specifics now, if we could, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be people who work in medical health and wellness marketing, and they're very interested in, in good work. Um, and in this case, uh, we always define good work as work that drives positive outcomes. Can you give some examples of of what you have seen that's that you consider to be good work? Well, yeah, I mean, I do think some of this ad council work is good. I, I think I've seen on LinkedIn, though, even some discussion about great work, except you're driving people in to a situation where they can't get the vaccine. Now, what's happening is that manufacturing and distribution are beginning to catch up to that. But that was kind of not an unusual thing that we've seen before where the promotion is really good, but it sets expectations and um, some excitement uh, about, you know, what's going on. I mean, I'd say a lot of the local news 
uh, media have have done promotions and education that I think is very good. Uh, I think some of the hospitals have been doing some very good work around this idea. The Black Coalition on COVID has created something called Love Letter. Yeah, talk uh, about that a little bit. What's cool. that about? Um, well, it's a love letter to Black America. Um, it's from America's Black doctors and nurses. So really important that we didn't necessarily go to people of color who were getting the vaccine um, itself, although you are beginning to see celebrities obviously talk about it, like Tyler Perry and a lot of other uh, notables. But this was about getting the actual caregiver to talk, talk to this because there's an inherent mistrust that you're perhaps using this population as guinea pigs or possibly in their past experience with Tuskegee in particular, that you're experimenting on this population. And that's obviously not the case, but it, it does help if two things happen. You can educate them about in the clinical trials, there's data very specifically in patients of color um, and of certain ethnicities If you can share that data specifically. And we do, you know, Pfizer, Moderna have done a very good job, I think, being transparent in their data releases and information um, about all of that. And that I think will set a precedent that will continue. So that's actually a positive for the future. And then what we saw was with utilizing these caregivers, they can attest to the fact that, okay, I took it, I felt comfortable taking it, you know, I feel comfortable giving it to my fellow man and women, and we can feel good about being part of this uh, wave of vaccination. Um, and then something called This Is Our Shot, which is a grassroots social media campaign. Um, it's started by health professionals in California. So again, it's coming from health professionals. These were the ones that were involved in the wildfire uh, recovery and, and rescue. So another group I think that is seen as heroes. Again, it, it, there's always this skepticism as it's all about getting as many shots to make money and that's not what's going on. Again, watching these sort of at-home interviews with the president of Moderna saying, take any shot you can get is reassuring, you know, that, that he's not sitting there trying to sell his product or push his product. He's just saying, get any shot and, and let's keep this train moving. And I, I would say the industry has done some very good work uh, on clinical trial um, transparency and, and any number of other things that I think are, are really positive. So those, those have all been positives, what you've, what you've talked about. Um, have you seen any work that is negative? And by, by negative, either it doesn't work or it tries to play to a negative emotion or fear? You know, I really haven't. I, I, I haven't seen all that much. I think the sensitivity has been there. If anything, what we've probably seen at the government level is a bit of hesitancy that's caused by, oh my God, who should get it first? Who should get it second? Who should get it third? A concern about looking bad in the community about who's getting access to the vaccine first versus just get the damn thing in as many arms as you can. And I think we're now, we're sort of past that shoot. 
And at the beginning, I think where there was all this debate about who's going to go back to school, are we going to get kids back in or out? I think those things were problematic and, and were causing a lot of um, mixed messaging. But I do think that's beginning to wear off. Yeah. But a lot of, I would say this was coming, you know, more from government officials and some mayors and others that were in conflict about it, about who should get the vaccine. Like, can teachers get it first, second, third? And it's like, just just give it to anybody you can give it to. Exactly. Uh, in case you're just joining us, uh, I'm Steve Madden. I'm the editor-in-chief of MM&M. And my guest today on the Haymarket Vaccine Confidence Project podcast is Jim Weiss, uh, the honcho from W2O. Jim, we're, we're sort of winding down. We're reaching the end of our time together. And so now it's time, I think, for some fearless predictions. Uh, I hope you're feeling bold. Where do you think when the history of the COVID pandemic is written, where will things net out? What are we going to remember about what worked and what didn't work? And, and do you think that when we're sort of out from under the specter of, of COVID, at least the way we have been, um, will, will there be a semblance of normal? And what exactly do you think that's going to look like? Well, I think it's going to take more time. And I think there's going to be some fits and starts. I do believe that. And I do think we will be typical of our short memory. We'll forget a lot more than we'll remember. So if you think about the disasters of the past, like the 9-11s or the Oklahoma City bombings, you know, or Columbine, and I can go on and on, things that would have changed mindsets or behavior, even the wildfires that we see here or any number of things that you think would Absolutely, 100%. I think everyone, once they're out of this and back to normal, will just embrace the normal and kind of put this in the past. I think for the most part, people will want to, you know, stuff it down and forget it. And I just think that's the nature of things that are this bad. I don't have a lot of belief that it's necessarily going to do anything, but I think on the positive part, it'll catapult us technologically. I think drugs will be developed faster. There'll be an expectation. I think it will bring a lot more investment into the drug and pharmaceutical industry and healthcare industry. But do I really think, you know, the whole Healthcare problem will be fixed as a result? No, I don't. Do I think you're going to have health equities completely fixed by it? No, I don't think so. Because of the things that it highlighted and showed, I think we'll make some incremental advance, but I don't think it will change as much as I think everybody thinks. We got the vaccine, people got it, we'll get the herd immunity, and then we'll be waiting for the next one to come. How long do you think we'll be wearing... Uh wearing masks in the season. I think you'll have to wear masks for the rest of this year, probably. Uh, hopefully we won't have to do it next year. And that's around here. I mean, I don't know that internationally will open up much till next year either. I mean, the Olympics might happen in July, right? They might be able to do it the way we've been seeing some of the sporting stuff, but I don't know how much audience you're going to have for that. What about vaccine, vaccine passports? You know, Verily had an announcement yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Yeah. How widely adopted do you think that that will be? And what do you think reaction think, to it will be? Yeah, I think we'll have it. I mean, we'll have it. And I think reaction, I think, you know, because we go through the clear system at the airport, I, I don't see why 
we won't have that for a period of time. But I, I really see we're going to get the vaccines. People will have had it. And in a year and a half, we're going to be back to relative normalcy. And I think this is going to be in something of a rear view. And while a lot of cool technological advances that are somewhat imperceptible will have come forth, and and then obviously I think some really great breakthroughs in medicine and other ways, I really don't think all the other chatter and noise is going to happen. I, I, I don't think to the degree that everybody thinks. I think it'll start to, some of it falls away. It's like dust and leaves and stuff. And, and, you know, we'll just be back in our relative normal. Well, I look forward to that day and, uh, and I hope it comes soon. And I look forward to the day when you and I can have uh, another one of our conversations, but have it face to face or, or maybe uh, at, a, at, a, at a dinner table with a bottle of wine. Yeah. That won't that, you know, and hey, you come out here, you can do it now. You can sit outside. Oh, that's the idea. I'm not inviting you to New Jersey. I'm coming out. Yeah, right. Jim, thanks very much. You've been listening to the MMM Vaccine Confidence Project podcast. My guest has been W2O's Jim Wise. Jim, thanks again. Thanks. 